Hello, 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 and welcome to the Timelines Project, a podcast all about the lore and story of Magic the Gathering, a very fun and interactive trading card game. If you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Today's episode is a recap summary for any newcomers so they can catch up with what's happened so far. If you've already listened to episode 9 or episode 11, then this episode is not for you. But next week is Bloodlines Part 1, so if you want some longer episodes, stick around for that. Now, without further ado, let's get started with the topic for today, Time Streams, by J. Robert King. Our story begins a little less than a century after Planeswalker ended, and Planeswalker is the previous book. Urza and Baron, a powerful mage, had founded a school called Tolarian Academy to teach magic and artifice to children, I guess. Time Streams begins 20 years after the founding of the school. Urza was working on building a time machine to go back in time to stop the Thran from ever being Phyrexian. To travel in this time machine, Urza built a sentient silver golem called Probe 1. Uh, When our book begins, Probe 1 opened its eyes and observed its two creators for the first time. Urza sent Probe 1 to go explore the school before he conducted his first time machine tests. While exploring, Probe 1 met a young student prodigy named Teferi. Teferi was a bit of a prankster and thought giving the metal man a funny name would get some laughs, which it did. Probe 1 was renamed to Hardy Shovelhead by Teferi. At the end of his first day of life, Probe 1 returned to Urza and Baron's laboratory, where Urza explained its purpose. Probe 1 stepped into the time machine, which was built into the floor of the lab. As the day rewinded around it, Probe 1 watched as it was dismantled, which was a bit traumatizing. Out on the western coast of the school, Joyra was sitting watching the waves. Joyra, along with Teferi, are the two students in the school who are main characters, the restaurant named. Out of the corner of her eye, Joyra spotted a crashed ship. She clambered over the rocks and climbed aboard and rescued the last remaining sailor. She took him to a hidden little nook and returned to the school, but didn't tell anyone about the sailor because Urza was liable to kill strangers for fear they were Phyrexians in disguise. I think I've reminded people who the Phyrexians are enough, but I'll do it one last time just to be safe. The Phyrexians are machine demons uh, from a Dante's Inferno-esque plane called Phyrexia. They want to invade Urza's homeworld, Dominaria, because it was originally where they came from and they want to return. Many months passed after Joyra discovered the sailor and Probe 1 took its first trip through time. Joyra was on her way to interview Probe 1 for an assignment. She found him with Teferi who was levitating various foods into different holes on the massive golem's silver frame. Joyra was furious at Teferi for treating a living being like a toy. She took Probe 1 away from Teferi for an interview. During the interview, Joyra gave the golem a little lizard from her home country of Shiv. Engraved into the lizard was a word in Old Argivium. The word was Karn, and it meant mighty. Joyra thought it was a fine name, and Karn agreed. Baron interrupted their interview. He had to take Karn away for more testing. He also wanted to ask Joyra if she would take care of Karn because he had been worried about the emotional impact Teferi was having on the Metal Man. Many more months passed. Joyra and Karn became good friends. Urza began to test the spatial limitations of the time machine 
because it could also transport Karn through space as well as time. During one of the tests, Karn accidentally discovered the sailor Joyra was hiding from the rest of the school. His name was Carrick, for those wondering. Karn told Joyra about the time machine to explain how he had gotten there. Teferi also discovered Carrick when he followed Joyra one night. Teferi was then caught the same night, but lied through his teeth to protect Joyra, which earned him some respect. After Ursa perfected the spatial capacities of the machine, he began working on sending Karn back further in time. On one journey, Karn watched as someone entered Urza and Baron's lab and took stuff after everyone left. Karn recognized the person as Carrick and realized that he must be a spy and not a shipwreck sailor at all. Karn returned and told Urza what he learned. Urza had been smelling a Phyrexian in the school but couldn't figure out who it was. It was Carrick, but it had been 22 hours since he had entered the school and he had probably already brought the Phyrexians there. Just then, the intruder alarm sounded. Perfect timing. Karn rushed to protect Joyra, but when he got to her room, she was already dead. Karn fought off Joyra's killer, and Urza appeared in the doorway. He told Karn that Baron and Teferi had already been killed, and the school was overrun. The only way to stop the Phyrexians was for Karn to travel back in time again and stop Carrick. Karn agreed, despite the risk that he would melt away from the temporal stress, and he traveled back in time and caught Carrick. Karn sounded the alarm and was pulled back to the present. But the present that Karn returned to wasn't very good either. The time machine was collapsing, the temporal stress was too much, and Karn became the center of a blast that covered the school and sent shockwaves out that caused tidal waves 200 miles away. Urza was only able to save Baron and eight students in a split-second planeswalk. Karn also managed to survive the explosion, and when the dust settled, he and 33 others that had also survived took ships and left the ruins of Teleria. Ten years passed, and Urza and Baron formed a new school on a ship named the Teleria. And while they want to fix their past mistakes, they got a lot to learn before they're going to fix anything. William, that was an Avatar reference. Did you get it? No. A hundred years passed, and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. Ten years passed, and Urza and Baron formed a new school on a ship named the New Teleria. <laughs> I might actually leave that in, because that's funny. When Urza, Baron, Karn, and the new students arrived on Teleria's shore, they were greeted by Joyra, who had managed to survive the blast, but had been buried alive. By the time she had dug herself out, Karn had left, thinking her dead. Joyra and eight others who had survived lived on the island. One by one, the others died. Four had been caught in dangerous time distortions caused by the explosion, two had committed suicide, one had fallen down a cliff and drowned, and Joyra's final companion had gotten stuck in a fast time rift and died of old age. Joyra was mad at Urza, but she had a lot of time to get over her rage. Ten years, to be precise. She agreed to be their guide, if only so that none of them would die like her companions had. She knew all the rifts by heart and was able to navigate them to the ruins of the old school. She also showed them what had become of Carrick. He had not died in the blast either. He and his Phyrexian companions had gotten trapped in a fast time rift in a super deep gorge. In the ten years that had passed on Dominaria, a century had passed for Carrick. After showing them the old school and the Phyrexian Gorge, Joyra found a good location for the new Tolarian Academy, 
on a hill just above the ruins of the old school. Urza split the new students and scholars into various task forces, and they began work on constructing a monument to the old school and the people who died, and building a more permanent living quarters. They began work towards the beginning of summer. By summer's end, they had finished the monument, and just before winter, they finished the lodge that would serve as a living and study space while they constructed the rest of the school. Urza had also built a war balloon to attack the Phyrexians in the gorge, and to test their defenses. One day, Urza decided the time to attack had come. The crew was assembled, which included Urza, Joyra, three scholars who were in charge of positioning, and two cartographers. The first few attacks were successful. It looked like the bombs were doing a lot of damage, but everything went wrong when the bomb bay jammed and they were dropped within range of a counter-strike. Crick, that's Carrick, by the way, he's still alive and he changed his name to Crick because it sounds more menacing. Crick had hidden some ballista, and when the war balloon dropped low enough, Crick blew it up with ballista bolts. Urza survived because Planeswalker powers, and Joyra survived because she has plot armor. She did get put into a coma for nine years, so she doesn't have the best plot armor. During that time, the academy was completed. Karn spent every night by Joyra's bedside. Finally, she awoke from her sleep. During her coma, she had received visions. The visions were of a machine. The machine used special time water to nullify the effects of time rifts so that Karn and Urza could safely enter the time rift. Joyra planned to use it to save Teferi. Oh, shoot, I forgot to mention that Teferi also has plot armor, though his is quite a bit better than Joyra's. He had been trapped in the slowest time rift uh, when the time machine exploded. In the 20 years since the time machine had exploded, about 10 seconds had passed for him. Joyra and a handful of students completed the machine over the course of a few months. When it was complete, it was brought to Teferi's time rift in the ruins of Old Teleria. Karn and Urza entered the rift and emerged with Teferi, who was not at all happy to learn that the majority of his friends were dead and those who were alive were all triple his age. He threw a major temper tantrum, but Joyra managed to calm him down. Over the next seven years, Teferi matured much. He and a group of adventurous students figured out how to enter time rifts using rivers. They invented the first fast time labs, which Urza would use to make the mechanical guardians of Teleria. These guardians came in four types. In size order, they were hypersonic falcons, the ostrich-like Telerian rummers, puma mechs, and scorpion mechs. After seven years, Urza thought it was once again time to attack the Phyrexians. They had built 690 hypersonic falcons to attack the gorge, and Urza had built a ornithopter to bomb the Phyrexians, like the war balloon. The attack went well, just like the first, but it all went wrong when Urza's ornithopter was hit by a ballista bolt and Urza was pulled into the gorge, where he was captured by Phyrexians. Karn jumped into the gorge, and the hypersonic falcons were right behind him. The surprise attack of a giant silver golem and 690 metal birds flying at Mach 2 distracted the Phyrexians long enough for Baron to drop a rope down to Karn and Urza and pull them out of the gorge and the time rift. Ten more years passed. Urza tightened Teleri's defenses and repelled attacks from Phyrexians, who had evolved to be strong enough to climb out of the time rift. Urza decided to leave Teleria temporarily to go to Shiv, Joyra's homeland, and figure out how to make the super-hard Thran metal that Joyra's lizard pendant had been made of. 
he arrived in the volcanic wasteland of Shiv and made a deal with the local lizard people called Viashino. The deal was that they would help him with the forge and he would give them Karn and drive off a pesky dragon named Garadarigaz. Garadarigaz had been attacking the Viashino because her son, Ramadarigaz, had run away and joined the Viashino, and Garadarigaz wanted her son back. After making the deal, Urza brought some students, scholars, and Karn to the Th Thran Forge Urza had found. Among the scholars was Joyra and Teferi. After many months of hard work, the Viashino and Telerian scholars got the forge up and running. After the forge was fully operational, Teferi managed to convince Joyra to go explore the forbidden zone of the Thran Forge with him. There, they discovered a machine that could make and charge power stones, which would be vital in defeating the Phyraxians. They also discovered why the area was forbidden. It was sacred to the goblins, who got really pissed when they discovered trespassers. The goblins captured Joyra and Teferi, then went to attack the main part of the Thran Forge. The goblins were winning the battle until Urza showed up and captured the goblin leaders. Urza negotiated for the release of the prisoners, and upon learning of the Power Stone machine, also managed to form an alliance between the humans, Viashino, and goblins. The details of the alliance are not in the book, but the outcome is that the goblins join the Viashino and humans in making machines to stop the Phyrexians. Urza briefly visited Teleria and gave Baron a beacon to summon him, before returning to Shiv with plans for an ultimate weapon. The ultimate weapon was a flying ship made of Thran metal and magic wood. It would be fitted out with an array of powerful weapons and would be capable of both hypersonic flight and plane shifting which is just planes walking, minus the walking. The ship would serve as the main weapon of the Dominarian Coalition, making quick, powerful strikes at key points in the Phyrexian invasion before finally striking the final blow. But before Urza could make the ultimate weapon, he needed the magic wood from the ancient forest of Yavamaya. Urza put Joyra in charge and then left for what he thought would only be a few days. Urza was actually gone for three years. Turns out, Yavamaya and Multani were not happy to see him at all, and Multani is the physical embodiment of the forest will. Multani still remembered what Urza had done to Argoth three millennia previously. The forest captured Urza and tortured him for three years. During the three years that Urza was gone, the Viashino completed their side of the agreement and claimed Karn as part of their tribe. They wanted Karn so he could teach them how to make sentient robots. The Phyrexians' attacks were also getting stronger and more frequent on Teleria. One fateful day, all their defenses were finally overrun. Baron activated his beacon in his hour of need. Urza snapped out of his catatonic state he had been in, and planes walked away from the forest, taking Multani with him. I have no idea why Baron didn't activate the beacon earlier, because it worked. Kind of? Maybe not. It's unclear if it actually worked in the book. Urza planeswalked to Shiv and told Joyra to collect troops. He then planeswalked away to Teleria. He blasted a few Phyrexians and then returned back to Shiv to take Joyra, Teferi, Karn, a few goblins, and Viashino back to Teleria. After dropping off reinforcements, he went and got the two dragons, Ramadarigaz and Garadarigaz, to go blast Phyrexians as well. Urza then descended into the Phyrexian Gorge, and with Multani's help, 
killed Crick and the remaining Phyrexians. Multani had decided to help Urza after seeing the Phyrexian horrors and seeing that Urza had changed from the person he was at the end of the Brothers' War. After the battle was over, Urza gathered all the members of the new alliance together. The members were the Viashino, the Goblins, the Two Dragons, the Tolarian Academy, and the Forest of Yavamaya. Urza brought them together to show them the Weatherlight, which was the ultimate flying ship I mentioned earlier. The Weatherlight was only a few months away from completion. Urza also revealed his plan to save Sarah's Realm, the angelic plane from the previous book, Planeswalker. Sarah's Realm had been attacked by Phyraxians, and Sarah had been driven off, leaving the plane to slowly collapse. Urza wanted to try to save its inhabitants before it disappeared from the multiverse entirely. While the construction continued on the ship, Urza went to Sarah's Realm to see if they would receive any help from Lady Radiant the Archangel who had taken over in Sarah's absence. Urza discovered Radiant was actually going to be a hindrance instead of a help. Her court had been infiltrated by Phyrexians, and they were tricking Radiant into slaughtering innocent people. The Phyrexians had made torches that were supposed to reveal who was a sleeper agent, but in reality they absorbed dying people's souls, and they were storing all these souls in a soul battery. Urza tried to find the soul battery, but he was unsuccessful. He did manage to plan a point where the people who wanted to leave Sarah's realm could. The rendezvous was on an island at the edge of the plain. After three months, the Weatherlight and its crew were ready. Joyra was the ship's captain and Karn the master of engines. The ship was being temporarily powered by soul torches, and Urza and Baron would lead the way into Sarah's realm. The Weatherlight would follow. When they f arrived in Sarah's realm, they were greeted by the sight of thousands of refugees at the rendezvous, and an angelic army headed right for them, determined to wipe them out for being traitors. Urza and Baron held off the angelic army while the Weatherlight landed and began boarding all the refugees. While Urza went to face Radiant, Baron was sneak attacked by the Phyrexian who had infiltrated Radiant's court. I guess Radiant didn't really care about the Phyrexians anymore, because the one that attacked Baron was obviously Phyrexian. Demon wings, metal body, the whole shebang. It did have one unique feature, and that was the mana battery embedded in its chest. While Baron battled the Phyrexian battery, and the Weatherlight continued to board more refugees, Urza made his way to Lady Radiant. He launched himself at her like a cannonball, but Radiant had been preparing for their battle. She dodged his attack and electrocuted Urza, temporarily paralyzing him. She then turned her fingers into claws and ripped them through his face, pulling the Mightstone and the Weakstone from his eye sockets. Radiant used the last bit of her power to teleport herself and the dying planeswalker to Sarah's old palace, where she could watch the battle unfold and gloat over the soon-to-be corpse of Urza. Meanwhile, the Weatherlight had loaded up all the refugees and was fleeing the Angelic Horde, intent on its destruction. The ship had enough energy to fly, but not enough to plane shift. Sooner or later, the power would run out and the Weatherlight would be destroyed. While Urza bled out at Radiant's feet and the Weatherlight was pursued by the angels, Baron was in a fight for his life. He had one spell remaining. He gathered all his magic and cast a web of control over the Phyrexian. It turned and shot straight at the Weatherlight. 
Joyra was at the wheel. She looked up just in time to see the Phyrexian descend out of the sky and strike the Power Stone conduits at the prow of the ship. The Weatherlight suddenly leapt forward in a burst of speed and plane shifted from Sarah's collapsing world. Meanwhile, Radiant took the two halves of the Might Stone and the Weak Stone and fitted them together. The resulting explosion pushed the plane over the edge and it began its final collapse. Urza emerged from the explosion and planes walked away with Baron. The two Power Stones united in him once again. Okay, this episode is probably a little longer than it should have been. The script is way longer than it should have been, like four pages longer. If you enjoyed this summary, I suggest you read the book because I left out a whole bunch. If you don't want to read uh, but still want more info, I suggest you check out episodes 11 and 9 of the podcast um, because those are the more in-depth part one and part two. Also, stay tuned for next week's episode, which is part one of Bloodlines, which is the sequel to Time Streams. Anyway, that's all, folks, and I'll see you next week.